Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, Matt Walsh here with another episode of the ESPN Footy Podcast for your Tuesday. Uh, plenty to discuss as always and to help me do that as always is Jake Michaels. Jake, uh, good to hear your voice after another weekend of footy. Anything catch your eye? Mr. Walsh, uh, good to be back for another episode. Um yeah, I was saying the other week, it's hard to watch nine games. I got used to the the five that we had, and then nine again. It was it was a struggle. There was a lot that caught my eye. Are we are we diving straight into something? No, no, no. We'll hold on. We'll hold on a little bit. Um, no, I think you're right. I think I was talking to the guy who makes my coffee this morning, and obviously I hadn't had the coffee, and he was like, "Oh, it's a good weekend when you know Team X loses, Team Y loses, and Team Z loses." There's too many storylines. I'm thinking, Gee, <laughs> who did they play again? And who did they play again? So as soon as I had my coffee, I was switched on. But uh, Christian Jolly, you would have kept an eye on uh, most games and most proceedings over the weekend. Uh, we might as well get stuck it straight into it. Something from the weekend that you might have that we might have missed that. Uh, you found interesting or quirky or anything like that? Yeah, my one's probably probably one of the uh, again we talk about watching all nine games. Probably the <laughs> least watched of the nine games might have been Gold Coast North Melbourne uh, down in Tassie. But Hugh Greenwood, Hugh Greenwood's just having an enormous season. He had another eleven tackles. Um, I know Gold Coast didn't get over the line, but I think he's been a great pickup for uh, Gold Coast over the last two years since cr- crossing from Adelaide and. Currently, yeah, 11 tackles. I thought, geez, he's just had a lot of tackles this year. He's currently at 9.3 tackles per game this year. It's second most uh, across the season. So there's only one player, Scott Selwood, in 2017, who had over 10 tackles per game in the season. Uh, Hugh Greenwood, yeah, second place, clearly in second. Um, maybe a chance to catch him with a few more 11 tackle performances. But again, just an underrated inside beast. Just again, we talk about Gold Coast and everything they need. I think they need a Hugh every team needs a Hugh Greenwood. Um and yeah, he's some if, of his results. If the all Australian squad of forty was announced today, would he deserve a place in that? I think he would in the forty definitely. Yeah. I think Took Miller's definitely going to be in I reckon Miller's a chance to make the actual team. Um mm. so yeah. good for the season being. Um Jake, while we've got you something from the weekend that grabbed your attention. Well, it was only late um, on Sunday when I was flicking through um, all the all the scores. I, I kind of noticed it. There was not a single team kicked a hundred points, um, and I was I thought, oh, that's that's strange. And I went back and I thought, okay, it hasn't. It's the first time it happened this year. And I thought, I don't want to spend the next two hours going back through the record books. So I'll ask Christian. <laughs> Christian, when's the last time it happened? Yeah. So we took out all of last year where it happened more than five times, I think, last year, but. Uh, first time in history we've had nine games of football in a round and not one of the 18 teams score over 100. So the last, I think I saw somewhere on, and again, this isn't mine, I'm stealing this from the internet. I think someone had quoted since 1984, um, at least every round has at least 100 point game in it. Uh, but yeah, never have we seen so many, you know, nine teams, 18, no, sorry, nine games, 18 teams. No one kicked over 100 the first time ever. The doggies probably should have done it. A little bit inaccurate to start that. A little game, bit. But, uh... A little bit, yeah. <laughs> should have had it by half time. Yeah. Uh, yes, we will chat about scoring and uh, accuracy a little bit later on. Uh, good one, Jake. Uh, my one is, um, I mean, it's, it's not like anyone's missed this because I think it's been pretty well covered, but geez, Patrick Cripps running 35 odd meters to kick a goal from the, the center circle without being pulled up when the rule, and I quote, says that a player should be uh, um, a free kick should... Uh, a player should have a free kick given away if, whilst in possession of the football, they do not bounce or touch the football on the ground at least once every 15 metres, irrespective of whether such player is running in a straight line or otherwise. Um, the bloke ran 33 metres at least. He ran twice or more than twice the legally allowed distance. Um, like, 
What, what are it's we doing? It's got to be here? a record. I mean, I don't know who would keep track of these, but <laughs> Christian, I can't remember seeing one even close to that distance. But how does it get to that point? It's not like it's a guideline or anything like this. It is an actual rule that every 15 meters, and it's not like he ran 16 or 17, you go, oh, you know what? He's got long legs. You can excuse it. Um, he ran more than double the, the legally allowed amount of, of distance and just wasn't penalized. And, uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, Adelaide should be too upset because I think they, they lost the game in other ways, but geez, you feel pretty ripped off if, if you're chasing a bloke who's running 33 meters and he hasn't bounced at once. You do. Um, but again, we spoke about this a few weeks ago. What do you do? It's like the kicking 15 meters. How do you judge it? I mean, yeah. we don't, uh, they, I mean, I, I think they got that one clearly wrong um, because they do, when they speak about 50-meter penalties, there's, there's plenty of line markings our guys use it in here as well that you sort of do get your bearings on a football field. And, and it was quite easy to see, usually from the center circle to the edge of the square. Mm. Um, you know, we usually know, and umpires should probably know the dimensions probably better than us. It's probably at least 20, 22, 25 meters between the center circle and the square. And he's run that distance. So it's quite easy by the eye. I think they just got mm. that one wrong. But in terms of what they do, and again, we spoke about it with 50-meter penalties, I think they've got a lot of line markings and sort of rules that they use that generally between this logo and this logo, it's 50 meters and things like that. So they do have the guidelines. I think that one's just completely just got it wrong. But don't like the talk of, you know, got to change the rule or throw the rule out. I think it's just one that we got they got wrong and you move on, don't oh, you? I disagree. I fault. think the rule needs to change. I think Let's it needs be to be... Honest, be it doesn't happen all the time. Oh, it I'm does. Not, no, it does. Uh, it does, though, I'm, Jake, I'm not because... fussed if it's a 16 metres someone No, no, runs. no, no, no. I, too often I see defenders kicking 30 out... 30 metres? Defenders are kicking out from the, the back line. Uh, they'll run out the side of the square, so they're not the full 10 metres as in from the, the goal line where the, the square extends, right? So they'll run out sort of three metres in and they'll run to about halfway, which is 25 metres, which is too long. And even if you give them that sort of three to five metre leeway, they're yeah, they running, running 20. 20. They run to the half. So make it 20 metres. Hang on, make you're saying they run halfway between the goal line what? and the 50 yep. metre arc. Yeah, 100%. Well, that's a lot 15 metres if you're already given them the 10. No, 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 but you're not, they're not taking the 10. They're starting, they're, they're just edging out the side of the square, not going to the top of the square and then running out. They're running out from three metres out. These blokes are running 25 metres. So make the rule 20. Change the rule because it's probably but better. But then we'll than, be saying, want, oh, they're running 25. to run a little bit further, but you don't want them running 15. If, they were, if, it was, if it was to the letter of the law done every time, there'd be 10 of those paid a game. The thing is, it's like the, the Giannis free throws in the NBA. I was saying this before. You know, he, he's supposed to take... If you take longer than 10 seconds with a free throw, you forfeit that free throw. And they're counting him up. But he's getting 12, 13 seconds sometimes. He's clearly gone over. But they don't call it. It's the, the same Nadal thing. Rule. It's a rule. It's the Nadal rule, you know, with the with his serving. You know, okay. So enforce I think, it. I think the umpires want to be 1,000% sure that the players run too far. You don't want to start calling them at 15 and a half metres and then finding out, oh, actually, actually only ran 14 metres. Cripps had a similar one earlier in the year against Essendon. Zach Cripps Merritt, had a few, Zach, Zach Merritt was appealing to the umpire twice when Cripps was running away from him and he kicked a goal as well. So... Look, I think the rule needs a bit of tweaking. Make it 20 metres. No one's going to care. Make, make it the 20. Crips rule, like the Toby Green kicking in the head rule. <laughs> the Crips rule. We're getting, tra- we're getting off track. We've got plenty to chat about, uh, as always. Um, and I'm going to start off with with uh, a bit of a statement here. I think Richmond are now fallible. The Kings have been shown that that they can draw. you can draw blood from them, basically. I think in previous years, maybe eight, 17, 18, and 19, you'd look at most fixtures that Richmond line up in and on footy tips on the app there, and you'd go automatically bang Richmond. And you think... Um, you know, the Tigers are odds on favorites to win just about every game, wherever it's played, whenever it's played. 
Uh, now, I'll tell you what, I'm looking at the fixture on, on, on footytips.com.au. Uh, if you haven't signed up to be a member, do that uh, Do that now. It's not too late, is it, Jake? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it might be. You'd um, have to tip perfectly from here to be in with oh, a shout. And the rest. Um, but I look, at the, I look at the head-to-heads now and I go, you know what? Richmond are fallible. And oh, I think you need to settle down a bit. Let's be—they're playing Gold Coast this weekend. Oh, they'll, they'll probably win this week. So you're saying you're think you're you're considering tipping the Suns? Uh, can I say yes for theatrical purposes? <laughs> and, and, and with the game being moved to Melbourne, most likely as well. Yes. Well, I, I reckon they should go to to Mars Stadium in Ballarat. Make the Tigers at least get on a bus. But I do agree with what you're saying. That was a really shocking performance. Um, very unlike Richmond. And they actually had a similar one against St. Kilda in their 2017 yeah. year. Remember that one at Marvel where yeah, they were the locked down by 80 points? By 80 points. Yeah. Um, so I'm not prepared to say Richmond's done. A lot of people are, are overreacting to it um, and saying Richmond's done. I'm saying Richmond can't win it this year. Don't think they can. And I, it's not because of that game. It's, it's because... I don't see how they're going to make the top four. And I don't think anyone can win it from outside the top four. I feel like we've seen it once, but it's so rare. And I don't see any team winning four games um, against top eight opposition in a row. Um, However, do I think the Richmond dynasty is over? Absolutely not. Because it'd be crazy to think that Richmond wouldn't be flag favorite or at least, you know, in the top two or three teams going into next season, regardless of how the rest of this season goes. And that's because they're a big system-based team. Um, but is the system still working, Christian? Well, most of it is. Again, so, you know, we, we speak about how strong they have been. So I looked at all their numbers from 2017 onwards. And again, what, what Richmond want to do with the ball is probably still there. They're still number one in the competition for handball meters gained. Um, they've never been ball hogs, if you want to call it that. So looking back um, previous years, just Look, even looking at disposal differential starting from 2017, their rankings have been 13th, 15th, 15th, 14th, and 12th this year. So they've never been one of those teams that need the ball in their hands and need to have a lot more of the ball than their opposition to win. But it was. It was all about system. It was all about we'll break even in the inside 50 count. We might even lose the disposal count, but we'll trust our defense to hold up and not concede a score and our forward line to be so potent that we can score once in there. Again, looking at their offense, um, they've dropped a 10th for points four. So a, a pretty big drop away from, you know, even in 2017, though, they were only eighth for points four, uh, increased to second, second and fifth last year. So outside the top eight this year, but the inside fifties per game is probably, you know, the, the biggest reason for that. So again, they were third, second, third, first, they're down to 11th this year for just inside fifties per game. So the ball's probably not leaving inside their forward 50 as much um, as it used to. And they're sort of 10th for scoring per inside 50. But again, looking at that scoring per inside 50 number, uh, previous years, 14th, 8th, 12th, 12th. So they've never, they've always sort of relied on a lot of inside 50s um, rather than purely clean inside 50s, if that makes sense. Um, and that number's dropped away slightly as well. But the big glaring drop-off really so far has been in yeah the defensive side of things. So they're ninth for points against this year. Uh, top three previous four years. Mm. Uh, so that's interesting. So uh, for a team that, that focuses a bit on back half turnovers, it, it just shows that they're not being able to do that. And instead of getting those back half turnovers, the attacking team is is holding onto the ball and then scoring on them. 
Correct. So Big yeah, problem. and it's it's the, the biggest problem is yeah, as I said, is the score per inside fifty again. So we spoke about their potency up forwards, probably not as good, but their ability to defend an inside fifty was first, second, second, dropped to sixth last year, but it's down to fifteenth this year. So oh. easy translation for that is they're the fourth easiest side to score against once inside fifty. Right. And what do we put that down to? I mean, they've obviously got personnel issues down down in the back line, which which obviously don't hurt, but. Um, I mean, some of the vision from on, on Friday night in particular was pretty damning of some two-way running from the midfield. I mean, is the midfield, you've got to delay the ball going in, especially if you do have inexperienced defenders in the back line. You've got to delay the ball going in and, and allow them time to set up in that structure that they're so famous for. It just seems like they haven't been able to do that as yeah, much this must, season. Exactly. It would be, I mean, and it's probably Damien Hardwick and all the other assistant coaches are pouring over the vision to find out where the breakdowns are happening. But mm. again, go back to another number, clearance differential. They've never, they've never looked to win the clearances. They're happy to lose the clearances by 10, 20 per game. Give you first opportunity because they're set up behind the ball. They're set up for that turnover game. So, you know, you win the clearance, you turn it over in space and we'll just, we'll just score against from that turnover. Mm. Uh, they're for, you know, a little bit, they're not getting that turnover anymore. Um, you know, they're still hard to score against from clearances. But then, yeah, once they get into that turnover game, um, they were always the one that, you know, and we sort of talk about a turnover game being a chaos game, the ball just flying back and forth, back and forth. Who's the first team that's going to actually break away and score? Richmond were always the best at doing that. This year, they're the, they've also been the second easiest team to score against from a turnover. So, yeah, they're sort of losing the turnover battle. They're happy not to have as much of the ball in previous years because they beat you with percentages. Now their percentages are going the other way. The other team's actually scoring more often from a turnover than Richmond's able to. So, again, just little breakdowns, and you, you go back to what you put it down to. It's it's a lot of it's got to be injuries. Again, we just keep banging on about Richmond was so system based. They it was all the 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 everyone was in the right spot at the right time, and they knew what they were supposed to do. Now, especially that that scoring from turnover number against that just shows that they're probably. They're still going with their offensive flair with the high meters gain handball, but when they turn it over, they're probably not in position good enough or quick enough defensively to stop the opposition scoring, and, and that's been the main issue at the moment. Mm. Uh, Jake, will they win the flag this year? I think you kind of sort of mentioned off the top, but you're putting a line through them definitively? Yeah, I think I am. Um, they're considerable uh, way off top four, and as I said, I don't see how you can do it from outside the top four. Um, yes, it's been done. We saw the Bulldogs do it five years ago, but it's so hard to do. All the stars have to align. And I just don't think they, they can do it. Um, they haven't won four games in a row at any point this year, let alone against top um, eight opposition. So no, I don't think they can, but again, I, I'm not going to jump to these crazy, oh, say Richmond's done, <laughs> get rid of Hardwick. No, they're, click, they're still going to be, who, would anyone be surprised if they, if they, you know, finished seventh, won a final or two this year, went out and came out next year and won it all. No one would probably be that surprised. So I'm not writing them off in the future, but I just don't think they can do it this year. The same reason why I don't think West Coast can do it either. And I had high hopes on West West Coast. I had finishing top two this year, but they're not going to make the top four. They're not going to, it doesn't matter how much talent you got. It's too hard to do, especially when you've got to go on the road multiple times to win games. It's going to be really difficult, uh, and yeah, I, I can't see them doing it this year. I just I do look at Richmond's run home though. They've only got two top eight teams in their next seven games, so I'm I think they can still win it. Um, I don't think they're going in with the best form, but I'll be interested again. Just sort of sitting back and listening to all the media takes and things. I reckon they could be one of the info, you know, because if they win five of their next seven and smash smash some of these bottom ten teams. Everyone's back on Richmond again, and you know, if we come around 22, <laughs> but 23, can, but do you think how scary is Richmond they don't looking? Make the top four. 
Uh, well, again, you know, they three games out at the moment. If, if there's any team that can win it outside the top four, it's it's clearly them. And you know, Rowan says that to us every week, Rowan Connolly. But um, yeah, I agree with him. Richmond just need to make finals, and they're a chance to win premiership. Mm. So they're three games out, but twenty percent out of the top four at the moment. So a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of. All right, here, all right let me, I'll give you one more. If this, if right, if this was the the end of the home and away season, and the latter as it is right now, um, is how we'd go into finals. How many teams would you say are more likely to win it than Richmond? Well, considering fifth is Geelong, so they'd play Geelong. I think Geelong would probably win that. So they're not getting past the first round. But I think at the moment, the Bulldogs, the Lions, the Cats, the Ds, power in that order. But, I mean, look, without seeing a ladder in front of you, it might be a bit so difficult. So you're saying they're what, the seventh favourite team and you're yeah, saying they're going to go given, out first Given week current final. form and, and the stats that Chris yeah. has put in front of us, for sure. I don't, th- I just, no, I, don't, I can't see it happening. Fair enough. All right, let's move on. Uh, some interesting bits and pieces came up from the weekend. And Jake, you were pretty hot on this when it happened, when Braden Maynard gave away a 50 meter penalty um, to Liam Henry, when he got a free kick paid against him, which in fairness to Braden Maynard, probably wasn't a free kick. It, in fact, it wasn't it a free wasn't. kick at all. No, should have been a free kick the other way. Should, well, if anything, it should have been a free kick the other way. However, it was on the 50-meter line, basically, and he then had a go at the umpire, um, delayed giving the ball back, and obviously said something that just went a little bit too far, and 50 meters was paid, certain goal, uh, and then the rest is history with, with the Dockers running away with it. It just... And you know, Devin Smith had a moment as well, a 100-meter penalty. And against Melbourne, when you when you only lose by a couple of kicks, it's pretty bloody costly. Um, and, and you sort of see things like this, these... Serial pests, because Maynard is, he loves a bit of, you know, biff and getting down and dirty and, you know, these little jumper punch sort of scraggy bits and pieces. Loves a bit of a skirmish. He, he does. But these sort of pests that have brain fades or acts of aggression that go a little bit too far, do you just have to take the good with the bad with this sort of stuff? I th- I think you do. And this might be an unpopular oh. opinion, but I think you do. Now, Can I coach not- it out of them? I don't think you want to coach it out of them. If you tell Braden Maynard or Mitch Robinson or one of these these hot-headed, hard-on-the-sleeve type players to, you know, control the aggression and just just bring it back a little bit, all of a sudden you lose what makes them so valuable and makes them that really aggressive well, type of player. You might lose it, but do you know what they did lose? The game. Yeah, but did you actually watch it? Because Braden Maynard was just arguably their best player. He was, to that he point. was. To, to be fair, I was actually watching the, the thriller over at, at Hobart while you were watching that at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I went back and, and I watched the, the replay. But yeah, he I, was I great. He, he's a, he, and he's a fantastic player. But he has moments where you just need to sit him down and say, mate, this is not on. And I don't yeah, think you're going to lose that. too but, much if you temper his aggression slightly. And I think you brought up one of the names you just brought up then, Mitch Robinson. I think he has changed the way he plays. I think he's aggression is now centered on the ball and contest and going hard at every single contest. Yeah. I don't see Mitch Robinson giving away off the ball free kicks. Um, he's definitely got smarter he, with where he's he, never been yeah. one to, I don't think he's ever been one to abuse the umpire even, you know, as a Carlton sport, I don't remember him giving away a lot of, you know, so he's probably more one that's, yeah, his aggressions are at the player and at the contest. He's reined it in well, but you're right. Maynard, I uh, can't remember the player. Someone got into him last year and he gave away about three or four. Yeah. I think it was Charlie Cameron um, yeah. from memory. And he just, it's you too can see easy. it's quite easy to get under his skin, but I'm with Jake. You, you know what play you, you know what Maynard's strengths are, and that's part of his strengths. You've just got to learn how to how to yeah rein it in, like I think what Mitch Robinson has done. The big one for me though is, and again, hard. You know, I'm not an elite sportsman or anything, but just don't talk to the umpire. 
Don't do it. It's not nothing has ever happened from talking. They've never changed their mind. They're never going to say, "Okay, next time I'll keep an eye on that." Maybe a quiet word. Great call, Braden. I'm going to reverse this right now, mate. Yeah, maybe never happens. You're too hot headed, and players, you know. But do you need someone like? Do you need another senior member of the team to come over and calm him down, or should he be able to calm himself down? He's what 24, 25. Come on, let's grow up a bit like that. You can't be giving away those sorts of penalties that late in the game, you know, with, with, with the game on the line, it's just not on. I yeah, mean, no, you, it's very, it is, it was costly. It, it absolutely was because um, Collingwood had all the running to that point. Yep. Probably should have won the game. Should have won should've the game. It looked like they were going to win the game. And then that kind of changed things. Freo finally mm-hmm. were able to get a goal. And then they sort of managed to steady after that. And credit to the Dockers. They don't come to that stadium that often and win. So, so fair play to them. And, and obviously their last sort of 10 minutes were, were excellent. Um, but you're right. Collingwood had it on a platter and just failed to do it. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't, I wouldn't be trying to coach that out of him. I, I like him as a player. Um, and that we, there's a few in the league. I mean, Mitch Robinson is a, is, has a bit of a Toby Green, we know, is a bit of a pest the way he can antagonize and argue with umpires and give free kicks away. Um, you know, there's quite we've seen we've seen players doing it. Tom Hawkins does it a little bit too. So I don't Sicily. think you necessarily want to take that away because it's that aggressive nature which makes them such dangerous players. I need to find um, a bit of balance. But yes, you gotta find a give bit away of the fifties in the first quarter. I don't mind giving the free kicks away, but you yeah, you can't be abusing the umpires. Um, got me thinking though, Christian, the biggest culprits of this sort of stuff, who's given away, I guess, the most free kicks and the most 50 meter penalties in, in recent times. Have you got any stats on that for us? Yeah. I just, again, just uh, had a quick look this year. So it is one of the names you just mentioned, Tom Hawkins given away five um, 50 meter penalties this year. Uh, Dane Rampey, Dev Smith and Josh Walker all on four. Dev Smith, obviously <laughs> two, two in the one game, in one, one, one place. But yeah, again, if you talk about, 50 meter penalties you can live with. It's probably your full forward giving away a 50 meter penalty. He's a bit frustrated. Key defenders taking a mark. You've got a free, and yeah, you're moving him up to centre half back. Big deal. But again, Tom Hawkins, um, yeah, sort of go back to 2016, 2021. He would have been my guest for the most 50 meter penalties in that time. He's actually, see, he's on 15. He's actually been not just pipped, but beaten by Dane Zorko. 22. <laughs> 50 meter penalties against 2017. So yeah, about one a month, five and a half seasons. But when the number did come up, I, I do. I, he does seem like another one that gets. He just seems to be interacting with the umpires a lot he, yeah. when he's getting tagged. I know he's you know had some frustrating nights with taggers. Talk he is. Up. He's one of those ones that he'll <laughs> he'll whinge at the umpire rather than maybe you know re yeah. re channeling that energy to you know winning a hard you know not saying that he doesn't win his own ball or things like that. But you've seen him some nights just just not going his way. Um, yeah, twenty two inside uh, fifty meter penalties against Tom Hawkins fifteen as I said. And the other two, Charlie Dixon, 13, and Toby Green, 13 again. Yeah. Forwards. Forwards. So, yeah. uh, you know, Dane Zorko. Chirpy forwards. <laughs> Braid Maynard, yeah. defender. You can't be giving away 50s on the back Correct. Well, yeah, yeah, the, the, the Dane Rampy one, exactly. That's that's <laughs> yeah. the hard one for me. He's, he's on four. And I was thinking Dane Rampy's probably the, you know, Tom Hawkins on five 50-meter penalties. Dane Rampy on four. You've got to clearly say Dane Rampy's the one that, you know, he's the one that's going to give you the more worrying 50-meter penalties against. Might be throwing you under the bus, but do you have the biggest beneficiaries of 50-meter penalties there at all? Uh, actually, we're going to look at that. So, again, going, going back to 2016, um, if you'll let me sort it. Yep, so there we go. I should have run this before we started. You, you did ask me the question. Dane Zorko, 14. So maybe getting the uh, ah, away 22 surprising. and he's so won 14. For every one he gives away, he gets point two. He gets point six of one back. 
Correct. Yeah, yeah. Supported <laughs> a twenty-two. Uh, Michael Walters second with thirteen. So again, that's pretty handy for a, a forward. Um, you know. Yeah, that's fair. There's, there's, there is clever ways to give you know to, to get a fifty meter penalty. I don't think you're always lucky. Um, so yeah, good job for Michael Walters thirteen and Harris Andrews twelve. So again, a fullback getting moved up. Um, Fair enough. A lot of those might have been Tom Hawkins hitting him late. Another one without notice, yeah. and, and please, if I need to pad with some some more talking, if you if you need to look this up, but goals from fifty meter penalties, like have you got leaders for that? Like, is, can we nail it down even further? Yep. So <laughs> it looks like Walt. No, it just it does. It looked like Walters with eight. So I'm just again yep. just sorting it. Walters with eight. Uh, Eric Hipwood seven. Okay. Uh, um. Oh, sorry. There's two more players with eight. So Darling and Franklin and Walters are all on eight. And this is since 2016. 2016. Yeah. So five yeah. and a half years of all kick. Yeah. Eight goals from 50 meter penalties. Um. You know, someone like Kyle Hooker. Just looking at him, he's kicked six goals from 50 meter penalties and nine goals from free kicks. So he's um. Yeah, he's Don't give him a been a bit lucky getting. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I said, you know, Franklin, Darling—they're going to be leading goal kickers in that time anyway. Yep, um, yeah, fair enough. That as well. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love, with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. Um, all right, let's move on. We, we mentioned this off the top, and, and Jake, your eagle eye kind of spotted it uh, during the weekend, which was very good. But scoring accuracy, I remember earlier in the season, after one or two rounds, everyone was sort of swept up in that, oh, how good is this high-scoring footy and, um, and all that sort of jazz. And we kind of said, give it a few weeks and, and we'll let things settle and we'll let coaches get the lay of the land with the new rules and, and all these interpretations. Well, we're now about two-thirds of the way through the year. And, and Christian, you sort of said um, that's the first time in, what was it, ever? In the nine yeah, game in the nine game yeah. era that we haven't had a team scoring a hundred points, so Jake, it sort of seems to me that uh, as we expected and predicted, the coaches have won because games are again lower scoring and players are still not kicking straight, and maybe it's the depths of winter and a bit of wet weather footy and all that sort of stuff. But it seems yeah. like yeah, accuracy's down, scores are down, um, but funnily enough, I think contests are still just as engrossing as as they were in the earlier part of the season. They are, and you and I have been saying this for quite a long time is that you don't need in fact i prefer lower scoring contests than a shootout and i what there was a game it was um it was speaking port, of the mic jake sorry there, <laughs> I, i'm just trying to think of what i was what was port adelaide playing sydney. um who did port play this week sydney sydney yeah and there, there was about five goals kicked in the first seven minutes and the commentary was all oh it's great to have a shootout and it's like is it do you want to have a goal back in the center? Goal back in the center. It's like I like having a. I, I like having each goal have having more value than 120 playing 115. Um, so from that point of view, I'm not too fussed about it. But I I think the contests have been good. Having said this week, we did have some pretty crappy um, weather. That game over in Perth, there was yeah. some there were some average conditions which dropped it. But I think overall the accuracy, and I'm sure Christian would have numbers on this, but the accuracy seems to be getting worse and i think from memory it's been dropping like a percent every year for the last five years or something so yeah I don't it's, know. it's had a steady drop this year it was dropped again but again i just looked at it in sort of four week blocks the first four weeks were at 46 and a half percent scoring accuracy so it's including all misses five to eight 47.9 percent nine to 12 48.5 percent so starting to think here we go they've got their goal kicking boots on uh, 13 to 15, we're down to 45%. And again, if this was across the season, that would be at an all-time all low. So 
Um, yeah, right. weather, weather's got to play a part in it a little bit. But again, I, I agree with Matt. I think the coaches just win. We're not getting as many easier scoring shots. We're getting harder scoring shots. Um, it's There's an amazing. adjustment on the stand rule. I mean, yeah. players are now just standing there five meters back and, and filling up the hole to the to the inside or the outside of wherever the dangerous footy is going to go. They're, they're standing off the stand part of the mark. But and a, the only time it, that the stand mark is really relevant is when someone's having a set shot. Yeah, and a lot of it is, I think, it's it's the offensive coaching as well because I do I look at some teams and Carlton Adelaide might be a great example in the second quarter when goals needed to be kicked. Carlton were able to find eight goals in twenty minutes. You've seen other games where. They need the, you know, four goals in the final 10 minutes and they're able to get three goals and nearly get there. Sort of like, well, when, when they're given license to play and try to score, some teams can do it, but it's almost like, you know, I'm sure David T didn't go out and tell Carlton to stop scoring, but it's almost like, all right, after we kick those eight goals in a flurry, now we have to just tighten the game up. We've got to make sure no one scores for the next 20 minutes and mm. things like that. So it, we always put it on the defensive sort of game plan, but I think sometimes coaches sort of, what, this, this, dissuade or you know yeah yeah they're um game, from actually going for it the game that i really i noticed it was probably oh it was probably 10 weeks ago it was geelong playing hawthorne yeah and the cats controlled the ball and every time they got the ball it was just they never looked forward mm-hmm. ever and they were just chipping the ball around it was such slow ball movement to hawthorne's credit every time they got the ball yeah. they tried to actually they, they shut down the game that i remember that because it was just they had numbers up at the contest where the ball would be going and they they basically sort of said we want to make this a complete slog and we want you to kick the contest as much as you can mm. which is not what geelong wants geelong wants to hit the hit the targets and and move the ball that way but yeah. and it yeah. was a horrible game to watch um but look, going back to the original point, Saturday's slate, for instance, you know, Fremantle won by 12, North by nine, Port by nine, Melbourne by 11. The games were close. They also just weren't high scoring. Like you mentioned, there were f- sort of nine or eight goals kicked in the first 15 minutes of that Port Sydney game. But I wouldn't say they were low scoring games either. Like combined, we've got, you know, 170 yeah. points, 160, 170 and 130. I mean, is that low scoring? I don't think no, no, but the contests are still engrossing. And that, yeah. that Port Sydney game, the last 10 minutes of that was amazing. That's what I mean. 81 to 71, you know, so combined they've kicked 152 points. Like, I don't necessarily think that's a low scoring game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, it's What's one of the biggest. That? Give me 81 playing 71 over 150 playing 100. It's one of the biggest misnomers in sport is that High-scoring footy equals better to watch footy, and I think it's just Boring. rubbish. High-scoring footy where it's just bounce the ball, run it out, kick a goal, kick it to the full four, kick a goal. It's like watching bloody Milos Raonic just pound aces down all day long. It's bloody tennis, boring. Tennis references with uh, Wimbledon kicking off overnight. That's yes. Good for you. Uh, I was up watching the Joker. The Djokovic, how'd he go? <laughs> was that you in the stands with that lovely little sign? Yeah, I wish it was. Uh, <laughs> could get out of Melbourne for a bit. Uh, no one. <laughs> Drop the first set, though. A, bit, a little bit nervy. Yeah, a bit, a bit touchy on grass. All right, let's move on. Uh, justified hype or hyperbole, uh, the segment where I'll throw out a statement and you guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. I might throw this open to either of you guys because it's uh, it's one that we'll probably all have to have an opinion on, I think. But Gold Coast won't win a game for the rest of the season. And I say that because they play Richmond, which is now going to be away, the Giants away, the Bulldogs, the Demons, the Lions, and then the Blues the Bombers and the Swans. Can you see them winning any of them? (laughs) Oh, Carlton's probably their best shot. Yeah. That is a hard run home. I didn't realize it was that tough. Yeah. I mean, Um, I know we joke about, we joked about in previous seasons about the Suns and winning games, but that's, it's a legitimate statement. I mean, is it justified hype or hyperbole? 
Yeah, it's going to be in Melbourne too. So they're on the road. For they that won't one. be put it this way. They're not going to be favorites in any game. So yeah, you're probably going to say no. Hmm. Is Stuart Jew in, in trouble if he doesn't win any of those games? I'm going to say that that'll, that'll take him to 11 losses in a row. Yeah. Um, it is. It's, it's, I, I don't like doing this. I'm, you know, and footy tips podcast. How often do we tip nine every week? So obviously we can't tip every game going forward, but it is, it looks like a very, very tough home. Um, and I'm just, you know, stepping forward two months. If they're negative, if they're 11 losses on a, in a row into the season, I, yeah, you think questions would be asked. It's, it's a, it's a big, big drop off from where, you know, they were in the off season and things were looking bright and rosy to finish mm. off the season. That way would be a disaster. Mm. Interesting. It's, gonna be, it's, it's worrying that they're playing the Tigers this week because I could easily see the Tigers come out and absolutely thrash them after what happened last week. Um, yeah, that could be, that could get ugly that game. Um, this year's mark of the year race is the tightest we've ever had. Does anyone want to weigh in on that? Nah, you weigh in, Christian. I, I, <laughs> it, it's very tight, but I'm, I can't remember. I think other years has been... There's always uh, a last couple, two right? or three haven't been. But yeah, this year it's like... And, and, and the comment, it's great. I've sat in the All-Australian meetings and listened to... They go through the week-by-week week, uh, goals of the year. So you see them all in a row. And Nelly, or Mark's and what goals of the week. Nelly, every one of the commentators said, well, that has to win Mark of the Year. Yeah. And by round two, it was like, this one has to win Mark of the Year. And there's probably three or four good claims for it with, um, yeah, Tim O'Brien, the latest one, Shy Bolton in the Golf Square uh, a few weeks ago. They, they're Jack Revolt going back. Yeah, we're, um, we're pretty Imagine if Eddie had pulled down, fans. Eddie Betts had pulled down his one in the square, not know, looking that, the right way. There'd be four genuine in any other given year would could possibly win it. And then you've also got, um, uh, yeah, sorry, you said Jack Revolt. Yeah, running back with the pack, which is the sort of the, the outlier one, it's, you know, he didn't jump over people, but for me, that's still the winner. That was the one of the most courageous ones. Yeah. Uh, have you got a, a winner at this stage, Jake? Um, probably Bolton still. Okay. Yeah, I think that's still probably the best one. Something about a mark in the goal square as well feels better. Like the Gary Moorcroft, Moorcroft. one. The that Liam Ryan take, one. If that was taken in the center square, it's like, eh, it's good. But yeah. something about in the goal square, like when you go back and slot it, like that's, it's just a little bit more special. It yeah, is, I'd give it to Moorcroft. Moorcroft might have missed. Did he miss? Uh, I reckon he did. I should have checked. I should check that up. But I reckon he might have missed his shot. I think the big thing as well for Mark of the Year, and this this might just be me, but the quality of commentary kind of has to match the moment as well. I hate it when there's such a good mark and the commentary is like a couple of seconds behind, or they're discussing something else, or they get the player wrong, or something like that. But like BT with Liam Ryan when he saw him around the back of the pack a couple of years ago. Uh, and sat on Max Gorn, and just he could see it coming, and the commentary matched the moment perfectly. I thought that was that's that, well, that was Mark, in the, was that the goal square. Or that was very the goal close square as well. Yeah. yeah, speaking of goal square ones. So anyway, um, yeah, we've we've been uh, blessed, I think, with with a few really really decent marks this season, and obviously still a few weeks to go. Uh, Jake, is Zach Williams lucky to get just the one week for um, his hitting the head of Ben Keys into the synthetic turf at Marvel? Uh, he is. He is very lucky, I reckon. Um, and I, I'm a Carlton. We're all Carlton supporters, um, as I'm sure our, our listeners would know by now. <laughs> but I would have. I would think he should have got two for that. I don't like seeing it. I don't want to see it. I'm always talking about this sort of stuff. Yeah. Get it out of the game. It's but protecting not a good the head look. as well. The potential to cause injury. Yeah. Get Deliberate it out of the game. Act. We talk about punishing the act and not the outcome. Absolutely. And when all the talk about bumps and things like that, they're at least yeah. football action. That's not a football action. That's no. no. 
And it all goes back to not wanting juniors um, doing this sort of stuff at the grassroots yeah. level. Yeah. It's absolutely nothing to do with football. I, I don't want it in the game at all. And I think he can be, cons- I can think he can sit- consider himself quite lucky to only get a week. I could see that easily being two. Mm. Uh, slight cause of frustration is Tom Stewart did something pretty similar on Thursday night and got yep. off scot-free. That uh, is thrust- yeah, I thought the same thing. Mm. Um, Who, who's running the show, really? I don't know. What's, I don't what's know. going on? I don't know. Stick around for our MRO. We slash- do it once a month, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris O, <laughs> sort it out. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, when, you, when you're looking at non-football acts, for goodness sake, that needs to get picked up and that needs to be suspended. Well, it's like Shane Mumford, you know, yeah. the Shane Mumford sort of stuff where he's just... 100%. Banging the elbow right in yeah. someone's head while they're laying on the ground and can't yeah. move. Can't... I think there's some misguided anger out there too because I've seen a lot of comments on on Facebook and Twitter posts being like, "Oh, Carlton have to get off, have to um, challenge and get him off." No, yeah. it's it's not that. It needs to be the other way around. Stewart just needs to be suspended. Pretty yeah. simple. Um, Christian, West Coast brought in too many underdone players to play the Dogs on Sunday. Well, when you're playing, yeah, again, I, I didn't know how to sort of read into that game. I thought, yeah, West Coast did look underdone, but I almost looked at the other way. I thought that was one of the most uh, impressive performances by a team this season in in terms of what the Bulldogs were able to do on the road. Mm. Um, After quarantine. Again, I, I think the, the, the answer to your question is yes, that's justified hype, but it's mm. also because of the opposition. that You can't come up against a red-hot opposition and not be at 100%, which too many... Especially West the midfield of the Dogs as well. The, the number of underdone, like Luke Shuey, I mean... Yeah, there was one point in that game where the bench was yeah. the bench for West Coast bench was Nat Nui, Gaff, Shuey, and Yo. And I thought, like, that's five, four of your best players sitting on the bench. They're all out of gas. Um, throw Callie in there as well. It was just and the bull. I don't mean I don't know how you how you look at this, but I feel the Bulldogs from the, the eye tells me the Bulldogs are one of the fittest teams going around. So it just wasn't a good look for West Coast. And you thought... Touch of arrogance? Or were they just trying to get players back onto the park as quickly as they can? Because to me, if you're putting in players who are clearly, you know, need a bit of time to get up to speed, uh, I think expecting to I win think was on, a little bit of management. You can't play them all in the waffle either. So it was like, well, yeah. which one do we pick to play in the waffle? Well, how about we pick none of them to play in the waffle and just chuck? So it is. Mm-hmm. It might be a little bit of arrogance, but it's also that step of you can't... There'd be no point playing Kelly, Sheed and Yo. Uh, sorry, Kelly. uh Yo yeah. and Shuey in Shuey. the same, you know, waffle team if they're all coming back because yeah. they're all playing the same position. So, yeah, it was almost like they were just unlucky to have them come back all at once. Mm. I think you're right, though. Credit to the Dogs because, I mean, they really should have won by almost 100 points. They really. should have won by 100 points. And on paper, you look at it and you, th- you think West Coast probably should win this game. Um, and they were absolutely smashed. Taking the cleaners. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that match? Any more Bulldogs praise? Aaron Norton, doesn't he look like a solid man at 21 Well, he was old? marking the ball in the wet. I, if we occasionally talk about it. I remember he had that game where he took nine or ten right. contested marks to tie the duck. Was, did was, he was that against Richmond? He finish? Yeah, he tied. I, I yeah, he tied. I think he did. Yeah, and he was only he, 20 or 19 at the time. Um, but the way he marks the ball, and even, particularly in those wet conditions in the first half, was extraordinary. He can be anything. And I know Christian. I think you've spoken about that. His natural position is a defender, but geez, well, I'll put my pretty handy forward. I, I love Aaron Norton, but as an opposition supporter, I watch him and go, "Thank God he can't kick straight for the yeah. because he <laughs> would be. He is a handful enough. But he, again, I don't. I top of my head, I can't think of anyone. He's an. He, I said to Matt, I said he's a significant upgrade on Levi Casbolt. 
Very Dr. good Duke. contestant. Oh, geez, I wouldn't even put those two in. Yeah. And you wonder why we get told we're a carbon biased podcast. My goodness. <laughs> hey, I those said he was those are private conversations. <laughs> no, he's a freak. He, he, um, yeah, he's been very good, Aaron Norton. Very good. Uh, and last one, uh, because we've got a bit of time. So, Samson Ryan, he was thrown to the wolves on Who? Uh, <laughs> Ryan Samson. <laughs> Poor old Dimmer threw him to the wolves, didn't he? Well, he did. And, you know, look, I don't know if you got the numbers there, Christian, but how many players have failed to touch the ball in their in their debut game? In recent look. years, with with the way the interchange is set up currently. Yeah, yeah so I, I... Not including the players that got their yeah. debut and didn't... I haven't got, I haven't got the exhaustive <laughs> list. I had a quick look at the query, and exactly, because of subs and yeah. back, you know, early 2000s, late 90s, it was quite common to have a zero disposal debut. Yeah, I think um, he's just yeah. lucky that... um. His side kicked only a couple of goals, and they were pretty, pretty outrageously bad. That uh, he's... but he wasn't lucky. I think this is the thing. Look, it, he had a shocking game, uh, but but how, so, every so one of the team, teammates yeah. did, and That's all his teammates have played before. So I don't know why he's copping much, much of the criticism. Like he can, what was he expected to do? Go out there and kick seven goals and win them the game? So, nah, didn't play well. Probably, probably won't get a call up for a while. But um, better for the so, run, as they say. Yeah, maybe next time you'll come in and get a handball. Fair enough. Hey, I, just, I felt sorry for him because I think he gave a free kick away. So he finished with like minus two um, fantasy points or something like that. Got on <laughs> pretty that shit, yeah. uh, footy tips. Uh, look, changing situation. We know that uh, clubs from Queensland are now coming to Melbourne. I think Frio is going to get on a flight to Melbourne as well. And you might know that uh, more details by the time you listen to this podcast. But do keep that in mind when you are putting your tips in. If you are in a tight race, look at where that game is being played because could mean the difference between you getting uh, an extra couple of points or missing out on on topping your leaderboard. So do that. Uh, Christian, Jake, good to speak with you as always. And everyone at home, we will speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.